if your eight-year-old you could walk right up to you and ask you one question, just one question, what do you think he would say? Do you ever play anymore? Do you ever have fun anymore? Come out, come out, come out, come out and play with me. Come out and play for a change. Welcome to Playing for a Change. This is your host, Brandy Heather. This podcast is dedicated to navigating life's messiness and unpredictability, where we use play as a catalyst for change and connection. Come on in. This playground is for everyone. Today on the playground, I want to share the second piece of the four-part Patient Lens series. If you have not heard Episode 7 of Play for a Change the patient lens, I would go backwards before you jump in feet first into this puddle called the freedom frog. As I continue to share this journey with you, I'm also sharing international and local mental health resources in the show notes. Knowing that you are not alone and that someone is there to listen and help navigate when we feel lost is a valuable resource. Here is part two of the patient lens, the freedom frog. I was excited today, and I use this word lightly because it may have just to do with the possibility of escape, and excited isn't a feeling that I've experienced lately. Because although I still had to be accompanied by security, I was allowed to go to the art and woodworking space. I've been visited by the rec therapists who want to know what I'm interested in, and I can say I've been less than enthusiastic to have to answer that when I feel like I just want to stop breathing most days. Some of the wisdom I share these days is that no matter how many times you ask me what I want to do when I feel this way, the answer is just a fog, a blur of what I think I should be doing and what my training and knowledge says will help, and what I think you want to hear. But no matter how much you want me to go for a walk, and I know it will help, It is a success for me when I put my feet over the edge of the bed and onto the floor. When you learn to celebrate that with me, you won't keep asking me to run a 12-minute mile, which is what just go for a walk sounds like to me. But after a few days of being unable to leave the ward, I feel that the possibility to walk down the hallways is a little freeing. I walk into a large room filled with craft paper covered tables and shelves full of white statues waiting to be painted. And I think, oh my God, this is not art. This is paint by number. You see, when you're depressed at this magnitude, nothing feels right. And I can't see through this fog between changes to medication and neurochemicals, making it difficult to connect my sentences... So because nothing is right right now, nothing fits the picture in my head, and the disappointment is overwhelming, and my sarcasm is at the top of its game. At the tables are patients painting, and I think, kill me now. I'm so much better than this. I am not painting a preset sculpture. And to top off the experience, the woman at the desk tells me the rules about checking in every tool and returning them before I can return to the ward. So you think I can hurt myself with a paintbrush? I look around and realize there are no sharp 
tools, scissors, etc., and in my logical brain, I consider, wow, painting sculptures, that's pretty safe. The shoelace police probably appreciate that for security measures. The security attendant asks if I want to stay, and I grudgingly look at the sculptures for something that suits my artistic stature. As I look back, I hope the other patients are laughing at my attempt to control something, anything right now in my world. So I pick up an intricate vase with many details, and in my head I think, not just anyone could do this. So here is something where I can show how capable I am. I am laughing at myself as I write this, considering how crazy that actually sounds. I'm trying to prove I'm okay by painting the hardest sculpture. At this point, I don't think I was open to growth and recovery. I check out a paintbrush and I start. I look around the table for the furthest away from anyone and I start. I'm only allowed to stay for 30 minutes as group therapy starts soon and I don't want to go, but I check my paintbrush back and I walk with the security to wait outside the group room. After group, I ask to return to the paint room, but it is closed and I return to my room. Wonderful. Sleep. Disappear. This is the part I long for. There are no other patients in the room, and I lay down on the bed and I wrap myself tightly in the blankets in an attempt to become invisible. Do you ever play anymore? Do you ever have fun anymore? Come out, come out, come out, come out and play with me. After 20 minutes, someone enters my room and taps on the top of the blankets. A nurse informs me that I am not allowed to stay in my room during the day now and that I have to be in the social space for a set amount of time. There are probably not enough bad words to describe how I feel about being dragged out of my escape pod to a social space filled with sick people, and I say so. The nurse insists that if I want to be able to gain privileges of independence like going to the paint room, I need to comply with the rules, and if not, she will have to tell my team that I am being uncooperative. Wow. Everything I ever taught about token systems is true. Give me a check mark, smarty, sticker, stamp, and I will behave. This is where I wish I didn't know anything. I don't have the strength to fight, so I get out of bed and I walk down the hall. Not to be compliant, just to make her go away and stop talking to me. Outside in the social space, and I use this term lightly, we have access to a board game and books and a small room with a TV and VHS tapes full of TV shows and movies. There's no one in there right now, so I create a social space on my own. I can see the nurses and security attendants talking, and I am, of course, pretty sure they are making fun of my lack of compliance. This may not be true, but my head is spinning between this deep sadness and wanting to jump out of my skin. So everyone is a threat at this. I get about halfway through an episode of Taxi when one of the inmates comes in to announce that his show is starting now. In my teaching life, I would have had all the strategies to connect this person's need and try to build connection and spoken in person-first language, but I tell him to fuck off as I don't have those filters right now. He then proceeds to report me to the desk and a nurse comes in to try and create a bridge between what he wants and what I want, I choose to leave. Social space my ass. 
This is one of the parts of major depression and anxiety that I think is hard for some people to imagine. I'm not trying to be mean, and I'm not a heartless person. Most of the time, I'm not antisocial. However, there is a threshold for certain life elements that is very low for me right now. I can actually see that I am not being kind or caring. It's like being able to see yourself from the outside and look down at yourself and it's full of judgment. A good person would have done this and usually you would do this and a good mom does this and the proper people do this and the right response is this and good parents and good teaching and good... God... But I am empty, and covering the emptiness is what gets me to this level of my illness. When you gift wrap your life so no one can see what's under the wrapping, it's exhausting. And after doing that for many years of my life, the gift wrap is made of Teflon and adorned with steel bows, but pretty to look at. But there is a point, like in any chronic illness, that you don't have the energy to tie pretty bows and make the wrapping look just right. And that's when people notice. Why is she so... How come she didn't... What's wrong with her? Because the pretty wrapping has been covering up all the sadness and the emptiness and the insecurity and the anxiousness. And mostly, I'm surrounded by a life people would love to have. I have two great kids, healthy, happy, nice house, car, steady paycheck, good benefits. And when you don't appear to be grateful for those things, people assume you are ungrateful. And for me, that is a deadly combination. When I am not contributing, functional, prepared, capable, I actually never thought of myself as a perfectionist because in my mind, perfectionists are organized and neat and tidy, which is not me at all. I do, however, seem to have a very strict set of guidelines on how good or bad I am. And in this place, I need to see myself as better than in order to survive. In my mind, this place is a very clear indicator of my worthiness. There's a woman sitting in the rocking chair telling herself stories, and many people are sleeping sitting up. Med changes, I guess. A man approaches me to tell me his story, and my brain cannot handle any social interaction, and I walk away in the middle of his sentence. I am sure that will also get marked against me on my behavior chart. One week later, I have completed my intricate vases, and I wait for the art room to fire my masterpiece. I have learned over the past week to have a little more insight into my need to safely control my circumstances and why I try to surround myself with assurances about my capability and worthiness. I am genuinely proud of these vases and excited to see the end product. When they come out, I am disappointed by their simpleness and lack of evidence for my hard work and dedication to every detail. It looks like just anyone could have done it. And when the woman in the art room asks if I want her to wrap it, I just sit down and cry. And I cry so hard. I cry in fear and anger and pain and loss and disappointment. And I am inconsolable. And she calls someone to come and get me. I do not go back to the art room for over a week. 
During this week, I continue my weekly schedule of group therapy and gain privileges like walking to the cafeteria for a milkshake without supervision. I am returning from woodworking one day and I see a woman sitting on the windowsill. She's probably 10 years older than me but looks worn. And I recognize her from one of my groups. I don't even know what makes me stop and ask, are you okay? But I do. She tells me she's going to ECT tomorrow and and she is terrified. At this point in my life, I know what this is, but I think, oh my God, please tell me they don't do that anymore. Something is strong enough in me to cover my reaction to this. And I let her continue. You see, she is a nurse and her job outside these walls is to help the doctor who administers ECT in another hospital in another province. She has bipolar disorder and she has been sent here quite away from home because she didn't want co-workers to know how sick she was. Let me say this again. This woman has spent her whole working career in psychiatric nursing, and she traveled away from family and support so she didn't have to face the shame of admitting she has an illness in a place she works to heal people with mental illness. Please, please tell me this hits home for every nurse and doctor and teacher and caregiver and person. Healers are shamed for being sick. We sit in this windowsill, quiet for quite a while, and then she puts her head on my shoulder and sobs. And we cry together for what feels like a loss. But I realize it's not. What we gain in telling someone else what is under all that Teflon wrapping paper is connection. It's the bridge. We fear starting to build bridges because we're afraid they will break, because they have before. Because we have tried to build foundations for a bridge, but found out that people have some very clear ideas about mental health and mental illness and our ability to remain foundationally solid. Friends and family who have judged and laughed and dismissed and responded in anger and fear. Workplaces that have questioned our skills, our perseverance and knowledge and expertise and commitment. We stop building on our side of the bridge and we don't have to worry about connection because we are safe on our side when we share nothing. What we did in this place, on the ward, is find our bridge building skills again because there is nothing to lose here. For me, this feels like the bottom. I hug her and I wish her something that sounds like luck, but I'm not even sure those are the right words. The next day, it's time to return to the art room. And when I do, I walk in shoulders back and look on the shelf at the most unlikely thing I would ever paint. There is a frog statue, and it calls my name. Tacky and perfect. The woman in the art room welcomes me back, and I check out three brushes, and I go over to paint, and I just grab random colors. For an artist, this is the unspeakable. And without hesitation or platting, I splatter this frog with paint, uncoordinated, unplanned, not matching, not blending, paint splatters everywhere, imperfect. She comes over and asks me if I'm okay, and I say, I'm going to be just fine. I can let go now. It doesn't have to be perfect. I am not perfect. But I am worthy of more than I expected. And somewhere inside, I actually feel that. And I will continue to work on believing it. 
tears and laughter, and an hour later, I am done, and I ask her to fire it, just as it is. The next week, my friend Doug comes in to see me, and I show him my frog, and he gets it. He says, this is the freedom frog. Yes, this is the freedom frog indeed. Thanks for coming to the playground today. Come back and play again. This playground is for everyone. Let's continue the conversation. The story matters. The story builds bridges. Share it or hold it, but know you are not alone. We survive by finding an ounce of play and then adding it back slowly into our space. Thanks for joining me on the playground today. I will continue to share my personal journey and insights on mental illness and creating more space for both self-care and awareness. What is vital to me is that people know their story matters. People matter. And the key to better mental health is to value that the journey has so many different paths, lived by many different people, people you can't imagine, and people you can. Our stories matter. My next episode in the Patient Lens series will look at how I climbed out from that dark place and back into my life and the importance of building new foundations to support a different way of existing. Find your play and remind yourself and others that finding it and seeing it is a gift. At amp to play we're transforming the way business, education, and healthcare develop authentic and sustainable diversity and inclusion programs and services. Connect with us at amptoplay.com to learn more. If your eight-year-old you could walk right up to you and ask you one question, just one question, what do you think he would say? Do you ever play anymore?